If you haven't been with us, we started last week a series called The Fugitive, uh, looking at the life and the book of Jonah. And uh, we began looking at verses 1 through 3 last week, and uh, we are going to take uh, pretty much the rest of the first chapter in our message uh, this morning. Well, if you weren't here with us and don't know about the book of Jonah, Jonah is a story about a man, a prophet of God, who is given the task of going to a place called Nineveh, which was the sworn enemies of Israel. And he was told to go and preach a message of repentance to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah, being a good prophet, calculated what that would mean and all that would be a part of that and makes a decision in verse 2 of, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in verse 3 of Jonah, where it says, instead of following the way of the Lord, the word of the Lord, Jonah makes a decision, instead of going to Nineveh, he goes in the exact opposite direction. And we're going to look at uh, that fleeing from God, because as we look at this story, we are going to see that he is, in fact, a fugitive, running from God and the plan that God had for him. And we're going to see God now enter the picture in an all-out pursuit for his child, Jonah. So let's look to uh, Jonah chapter 1. We're going to look through uh, verses 1 through 16 this morning. I would ask as we do, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. As we get into our text of Jonah chapter 1, we'll start at the beginning of the book, and this is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and a violent storm arose Uh, that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running from the Lord, it says parenthetically, because he had already told them so. Now the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, Oh, please, do not let us um, die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. 
Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Father God, we come uh, to an amazing text. A text that is so vivid with excitement and details about what you are doing as you are in hot pursuit of your son, Jonah. Father, we pray because many of us, like Jonah, are running away from you. Instead of turning and obeying, we turn and disobey. And Lord, we don't just disobey once, but we keep going and going farther and farther from you and your truth. Lord, open our eyes this morning to what it means to live a life of sin and what you will do to bring us back. Lord, for those who at at this time are far away from you, who at some point in the past made a decision to not follow you, but to follow their own ways, Lord, let them recognize today that you will not stand idly by and allow us to go to our destruction and demise. But just like in the story of Jonah, you discipline those whom you love. And just as you love Jonah, you love us today. And you have a plan for us. A plan that you want to see accomplished. So Father, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive what you have to say in your text this morning. That it may be powerful and transforming. We give this all to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. In verse 3, we are told some information. We got to the first half of verse 3 last week, where I said that Jonah runs from God. But as we get into the last part of verse 3, we see that Jonah heads off, for a city called Joppa. Joppa, where uh, where Jonah was at at the time, probably was a southwest journey to the port city of Joppa. Now, he's going to Joppa, not because that's the end of his uh, trip, but he's going to go on a voyage. He's heading to a place called Tarshish. Now, we're not sure exactly where Tarshish is. Some think it's western, the western part of Africa. Others believe that it was near the Straits of Gibraltar in Spain. That's in fact where most commentaries believe he was heading. The reason why he was heading for one of those two places was because he wanted to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. You see, where Jonah was at at the beginning of Jonah 1, Nineveh was to the uh, east. What Jonah does is he heads as far to the west as possible. And as he heads uh, down that path, we see that Jonah's decision to run away from God was not a singular decision. I want you to understand something this morning. When we sin and we don't stop and ask and seek for repentance, we begin a process that I would like to call today the downward spiral of sin. Now, if we were to look at Jonah chapter 1, we would see that Jonah makes a decision that he is not going to obey God. That is sin number one. But let me tell you today that every step that Jonah takes towards Joppa and every wave that that ship hits that is heading it in the opposite direction of Nineveh is one wave and another step away from God and thus a downward spiral from God and into sin. 
You see, sin has a way of leading us farther than we would ever think we would go. Because it doesn't just end with one decision of disobedience. It leads us even farther. Now, we don't have to look very far back into biblical times. In fact, we can look to our newspapers and what we see on TV, that there is a downward spiral of sin. I don't have to name names, but in the last couple of weeks, we've seen a couple of very prominent politicians who found themselves before all the cameras and all the reporters announcing to the world that they had been a part of the downward spiral of sin. And you would say, well, when did it begin? Well, it started with just a little thing. In fact, in one of the politicians, he would go uh, as far as Argentina to live out the sinful life that he had found himself on. And he would do that at the expense of his job, at the expense of his reputation, at the expense of his family, where he would come back. In fact, he was even lying at one point, telling his staff and his people he was going off to a hike in the Appalachian Mountains. And in fact, he was on his way to see a secret lover. We can see time and time again that sin isn't one decision, but when left unchecked, it will lead to one bad decision after another. Jonah's an example of that. As he heads away from God, every, as I've said, every step is yet another sin of rebellion to God. So what are we to do with this idea of this slippery and downward spiral and slope of sin? We need to look at Jonah's life. In fact, the Old Testament is an example. It tells us that when we see examples of disobedience, we should take heed to know and see their demise. I love that the Old Testament is filled with people that struggled with sin. It would have been a sad thing for us to have the Word of God in the 39 books of the Old Testament and see a bunch of perfect, pristine people who never messed up, And who were always doing what God said. That would be of no help to us because we are a frail people. We are a people that fail at all times. And yet that's what we see in the Old Testament. In fact, you see almost in every example of the Old Testament an example of where they disobeyed God and the consequences that came. And so we need to understand from this example... As we look at a prophet who is called by God to do a wonderful thing for God, we need to look at his life and say, how did his life fall into the downward spiral of sin? And what did it involve? And how did God deal with him? And so we need to look at three things this morning from the text. Number one, we need to understand that the downward spiral of sin brings great disruption to our lives. It brings great disruption to our lives. Now in our text, it tells us that Jonah boards a ship. Now I wonder, we're not told this, but I wonder if Jonah, when he was uh, walking down to Joppa, was thinking, you know what, as I get to Joppa, once I get on that ship, everything is going to be all right. 
Now, I know I said no to God, but you know what's going to happen is once I get on that ship, God's going to forget about me and he's going to allow me just to move on. And what he will do is he will find someone who is better suited to preach to the Israelites, someone who maybe loves, I'm not the Israelites, the Ninevites, someone who loves the Ninevites more than I do because I'd rather see them dead than alive. And so he's heading down there. I wonder if there was this thought as far as, as he got farther and farther away from where God had given him that call that he began to feel at ease. In fact, it says when he was on the boat, he fell asleep. Now, some commentators say a couple different things about this idea of him falling, and it doesn't just say asleep, but into a deep sleep. Some say it was because he ran away from God, that he was running so hard to Joppa that he was exhausted when he got to the ship. Remember the, the words that we learned last week? That the idea of going and preaching, there was a sense of immediacy to it. He needed to do it and he needed to do it right away. So maybe he was just dog tired. The other thought is, is that the guilty conscience of saying no to God was weighing so heavy on him that when he got finally down to Joppa, got on the ship, that he was just at ease finally, just to be able to say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm okay with where I'm at, and I'm not going to worry about it anymore. Could have been just that it's time for a nap. We're not sure. But we notice that right when he feels enough ability just to sit back and relax, disruption comes. I know that the downward spiral of sin makes you, it lulls you, if you will, into a sleep. You start out with something very small and then instead of dealing with it right then and there, you keep moving forward and forward down that uh, slippery slope of sin. And you make decisions after disobedient decisions after disobedient decisions. Instead of dealing with it, nipping it in the bud at step one, we allow as if we're kind of just lulled into this thought that everything's going to be all right. I can live this way. God's God's so busy with other things in the galaxies that he's not going to see my issues of sin. And so I can just enjoy life and enjoy my disobedience with God. But boy... Are we wrong? And boy, wasn't Jonah wrong. Because at the moment that Jonah thought everything seemed to be okay, and maybe he had gotten out of the woods, God brings great disruption to the life of Jonah. There's a couple of things that I want you to notice as we look at these disruptions. Because when we uh, pursue sin, when we go after that sin instead of dealing with it as God tells us to, We learn a couple things. Number one, these disruptions, we need to understand, can be costly. They can be costly. Now notice for a moment, I want to read into the text a little bit and pull out some application. This is not the intention, please understand, of the writer of Jonah, but I think it's a bit ironic. Notice what it says in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. You know, commentators say that anytime you go, you follow after sin, you're heading down. And they hit on that word down to Joppa. But notice what it says, where he found a ship bound for that port. What are the next words there? After what? Paying the fare. Now again, this is not the intention. The writer of Jonah is telling us that he paid for his ticket. But I want you to understand something that as I look at sin, I think is ironic in this story. And that is Jonah wants to get to Tarshish. 
And so what does he do? He pays the full fare. No sailor, no ship is going to let him pay part of the ticket. He pays for all of the ticket. And yet we hear in the story that he never gets to where he wants to go. Wow, what a metaphor of sin. Sin tells us, hey, you pursue me, you go after me, you make me your joy, and I will give you this, that, and the other thing. And so we pursue it and we say, if I just do what they say, then I'll get this or that. And yet what we find is, it lies to us. Sin advertises more than it will ever give us in return. He paid full 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 fare for a half-baked voyage. He only went halfway. Maybe not even that. We don't know how far he got to Tarshish before God disrupted his life. Sin has a way of advertising it's going to get you somewhere. In fact, I love what this uh, famous saying about sin says. It says, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. That's true in Jonah's life. Jonah is going to learn that his sin of disobedience was going to cost him. Now, we need to understand something today. Maybe you have lived in a life of sin and you've never been caught. And you say, Tim, it hasn't been very costly for me. Understand what the scripture says. For the wage of sin is death. There's a cost to that. There's a disruption to that. Every time we sin, we break fellowship with our God. And see, that's not even seen in the story of Jonah. We see God disrupting the life, the physical life of Jonah. But we need to understand today that it isn't just that God disrupts our physical life, but he also create disruption in our spiritual life. There's an issue of interference that comes as a result of our sin. This would cost Jonah and it costs us as well. Notice the next thing that we see. These disruptions often impact the company that we keep. Now notice, we we see that Jonah gets on a ship heading for Tarshish. Now this isn't a kayak that he's getting into. This isn't a one-man ship, but there are sailors who are aboard. And what we're going to see, of course, is that because of Jonah's disobedience to God, we are going to see that the sailors who at this point and have done nothing wrong to uh, have this type of disruption come to their life, were they sinful? Yes. But had Jonah gotten on any other ship, it would seem that the voyage would have gone just fine. But because Jonah gets in their boat, because Jonah picks the town where they're going to, their life would be radically changed. In fact, it's, it's a bit uh, funny that when Jonah is asleep in the boat, it tells us that the sailors, the innocent ones, have already been battling the storm that God brought because of Jonah. Now you say, well, Tim, what does that mean? When we decide to choose sin over our Savior, we don't just impact ourselves. We impact the people who are around us. We impact uh, the lives of those we love. When we fall to sin and continue to pursue sin, we also allow others to find the trouble of our sin. 
I wrote this down. Our sin will affect our spouses. It will affect our children. It will affect our co-workers. It can affect our friends and family, and it can affect our churches. Sin has a way of not just involving us. It involves all those around us. And we see that time and time again in public sins. Because what we'll see, especially with uh, the issue of immorality among some of our uh, big names in news and in politics in the world, you'll see an issue of immorality take place. And what will happen is there'll be a news conference to talk about their fall from grace. And guess who will be standing next to these men? These shadows or, or uh, j- women who are just crushed and they're just sitting there, just a fraction of who they used to be. And many of these, especially politicians at one time, and they would show pictures on the news of, of the election day and, and this woman that would be standing next to him with vibrant and excited and looking forward to the wonderful things that were going to come with public office. But now with great shame, heads down, tears in their eyes, they stand there. Sin doesn't just affect the one who sins. It affects all who are around us. We need to recognize that. Jonah wasn't the only one affected. The sailors who at that point had done nothing to ask for this storm found themselves in the same situation. I thought this was amazing. In a recent article of the Wall Street Journal, there was a news article about the ripple effect of Bernie Madoff and his financial uh, sin and wrongdoing. And they began to talk about the ripple effect of Madoff. And this is what they said. We believe that only years will tell us the full extent of his wrongdoing. But at this point, we know without a shadow of a doubt that more than a half a million people have been affected by one man's decision to get gain in the wrong way. A half a million people. Remember, Bernie Madoff's issues were uh, billions of dollars in his scheme to make money. And we see and we say, well, but that's Bernie Madoff. Let me tell you something. And I tell uh, people this all the time. You want to understand how sin works? Take a rock and throw it into a still lake and you will see how far that that singular rock ripples out into the lake. You say, but it's just one sin. Yes, but it has the ripple effect of it. We see this in biblical times throughout. In Joshua, I believe it's chapter 7, after the great battle of Jericho, the victory of Jericho, of course, Joshua leads the Israelites and they take over this fortified city of Jericho. And there's a command that is given. You don't take anything from the uh, city of Jericho. You don't take any valuables. You don't take anything. It is left there. Don't, Don't touch it. And yet... One guy, one sin, his name was Achan. He goes and he sees and we're told some valuable things and he takes them and he puts them in a tent and nobody knows about it. Nobody's aware of it. And so the next city that the Israelites have to go to is the city of Ai or or Ai. And what they do is it's a smaller city. It's not as fortified as Jericho is. And so they go and they send the troops And the troops are routed. Dozens of men are killed. And they don't understand why. They said, what what happened? We're a stronger army than that. And God says, there's sin in the camp. Achan's decision to steal 
killed dozens of men. But it goes beyond that. Because the penalty of that sin would mean that the whole household of Achan would lose their lives. Have you ever thought about that decision uh, to look at things you shouldn't, that decision to lie, that decision uh, to uh, be unethical at your workplace, that it could impact the lives of others, that it would even impact your own family? Another example of that is seen when David sinfully begins to count because there's pride welling in his heart. There's an arrogance that he wants to see how great his nation is. He wants to see if there is a truth to the covenant that God had with Abraham that the descendants would outnumber the stars. And so he starts counting his great nation. And God says, this is wrong. You don't count the people. I've not called you to do so. And because of that, the text tells us that 70,000 would lose their lives to pestilence because of one man's sin. You say, but that's not fair. That's the ripple effect of sin. The next thing that we see is that these disruptions can be quite chaotic. Notice the text. The text says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now notice the the adjectives that are used. A great wind, a violent storm. Now notice what the sailors do. These guys have been on uh, the ships before. They no doubt had been a wonderful group of sailors. They knew what would happen. They had seen storms before. But notice, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now notice for a moment, a group of professional sailors, every time a storm would come up that they would just start throwing out their cargo. Can I assure you of something? When you get to the port where you were supposed to be at with the shipment that you were to have, If you threw out the cargo, you were as good as fired from being a sailor. And yet this is what they do. Now, why would they do such a thing? Because the storm was violent and the wind was great. This was a last-ditch effort. They saw themselves in peril like they had never seen before. It's chaotic. Now, notice what they do. They all cry out to their own God. Could you only imagine? I don't know how big of a ship this was. And the text doesn't tell us how many sailors were on the ship. But I can only imagine that there's dozens of men crying out, all in probably uh, different forms of languages and dialects, crying out to different gods. What chaos it must have been to hear all these different people crying out to different gods. And yet that is what sin brings. You want to see chaos in a church? Watch a leader fall to sin. You want to see people running around trying to figure out things? You want to see a family be disrupted? Then allow mom or dad or a child to fall to heinous sin. And you will see it. There's chaos. People turning, trying to figure out in their own way how to fix the problem. It creates great chaos. Now notice what we see within that. This chaos is all again being done while Jonah's sleeping. He's asleep. It says that Jonah had gone down below deck where he laid down 
and fell into a deep sleep. Understand this, many messages, in fact, one of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, preaches a whole message on this idea of the, of the missionary of Jonah sleeping and, and the importance of it. I don't want to pull a lot from this as he did, but I just want to say when we are on the downward, in the downward spiral of sin, we are asleep to the consequences and the ramifications of what are going on around us because of our sin. In many ways, Jonah was oblivious that his sin had caused such great pain and trouble. And so we see that this disruption is the first thing. But notice the second thing that we see. This downward spiral of sin results in the full disclosure of our wrongdoing. For us, when we're on this downward spiral, the last thing we ever think about is getting caught. The last thing we ever think about is having to articulate why we find ourselves having to tell others about our sin. I've told you time and time again that one of the things that I do as as sin and temptation come before me is to live out the ripple effect of what will happen if I choose that sin. And so there's a calculation, if you will. The first thing I think about is, what does this do with my relationship with God? Is this something that God is going to bless? Or is this something God is going to deal with me in as a result of my disobedience? The second thing I ask is, what will this do to my relationship with Amanda? Is this something she's going to smile at? Or is this something that could break her heart and cause our marriage to suffer? And the next thing I think about is those three little boys. What would they say? What kind of picture of Christianity and of holiness will they see as a result of me falling to that sin? Then I think about the church. And I say, what would the church think? What would the church say? What kind of damage could be done if I pursue this thing of sin? And then I think about the unbelieving world. What would my employees at work think? What would my neighbors say? What would their picture of Jesus be because of that? Now, let me tell you this. Even after I do all that, I still at times pursue sin. This isn't easy. This is hard. Even when you sit there and go down the checklist, I'm going to tell you something. The pull of sin is great. And Jonah sees that in his own life. He sees this wrongdoing. And and maybe there were times, we don't know in the text, maybe at times there was this change of heart beginning in the life of Jonah as he was heading to Joppa. It doesn't say that, but maybe there was, and he just kept getting pulled farther and farther away from God because of his sinful nature. We don't know. But notice what happens. God doesn't just say, okay, Jonah, you're you're not going to follow me. You're not going to pursue me. I'll go find somebody else. Jonah wasn't the only prophet in his day. Jonah wasn't the only godly individual who could go and take the message to the Ninevites. But that's not what God does. God says, Jonah, you're my man. And you're the one who's going to go. And I'm going to show your world what you've done. Now notice when this disclosure happens. It happens, first of all, often when we at least expect it. It often comes when we least expect it. Notice what the text says. But Jonah had gone down below deck where he laid down 
and fell into a deep sleep. He's sleeping. He's not wondering about his sin. He's not wondering about being outed for what he's done and who he's done it against. But notice, while he's sleeping, the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and he will not perish. Understand this. When we're running away from God, when we're pursuing sin and the things of this world, there is a time that will come when God will say, All right, my child, you've had your way. And now it's time for me to come in and right the ship. No pun intended. It's time for me to set you in the right direction. But to be able to do that, we got to stop having you live this way. And the best way for us to stop living for sin is to take what is done in private and bring it out into the open. And it happens at a time that you will never see coming. There are times when my sins have been brought before me when I thought they were long gone. About four years ago, an individual came to me because I had wronged them. I knew I had wronged them, but I didn't think that they knew it. And for years, that was one of my deep, dark secrets. They didn't know. They didn't know who it was. And so I lived with that. And I was okay with it because there was a time about a year after that, I thought I had gotten away with it. And then four years, it was in a grocery store. An individual came up to me. And then when I least expect, I'm just picking up some stuff, you know, just one of those casual trips to the grocery store, and I see so-and-so. And my thought is, yeah, I remember my sin to them. But I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. I'm not going to, they don't know. And in that, the gentleman comes up and he says, hey, I want you to know I've had some bitterness in regards to that situation, what you did to me four years ago. And my mouth hit the floor. I said, you knew? He said, yeah, I knew since the day it happened. And I said, oh, man. When we least expect it, God brings this disclosure up. Notice the next thing that we see of this disclosure. And it involves the exposure of our sin. Notice what happens next. The captain comes and he says, get up. Call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us. All the other gods that they had prayed to weren't doing anything. And so the sailors said to each other, we got to figure out what's going on here. And so they cast lots. This was a, a way in biblical times of, if you will, rolling the dice. It was taking a, a set of dice or some sort of uh, multi-sided um, bones or something that they would take and they would throw And if if certain colors came up, certain things came up just as in the way of dice, then it would tell you what to do. It was kind of like that old magic eight ball that you had. Should I do this? And you would shake the ball and you wait for the phrase to come up. That's what they were doing. Which one has caused this issue? And it says that they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble. And then the questions start coming. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? The the Hebrew commentators tell us that this was done in rapid fire. They wanted to get to the bottom of why Jonah had caused such a storm. And you know what happens? A spotlight is put on him. He's exposed. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have 
you done? Now, there's speculation, and we spent, as, as a teaching pastors, I tell you, we're working together with this from the other churches, that we talked about this. When did Jonah tell the sailors that he was a missionary running from God, a prophet running from God? We don't know. But it tells us that he had told them at some point. But why do they respond the way they do? Because as his sin is being exposed, it isn't just the sin of running away from God that is so big, but it is the God from which he is running that frightens them. Notice what he says in the text. He says, I am a Hebrew. It's distinguishing him as the chosen people of Israel to foreigners. And he says, I worship the Lord. But what Lord? Not this, the sun God or the sea God or or any other God that they would have been praying to. He says, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. He made all of creation. And the people are like, holy cow, what have you done? How could you sin against that God? He's the big God. He's the great God. How could you do such a thing? Here's the thing. When God wants to disclose our sin, especially as believers, he'll put a spotlight on us. We cannot sin in the dark. It exposes us. I love what the scripture uh, tells us uh, in the New Testament. It tells us, uh, let's see here, I gotta, gotta find the text. Luke 12, verses 2 and 3. Write this down. Luke 12, 2 and 3. Everything that is secret, Jesus says, will be brought out into the open. Everything that is hidden will be uncovered. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you whispered to someone behind closed doors will be shouted out from the rooftops. God is all about bringing full disclosure about our sin. He's saying you can't hide this stuff. It's going to be brought out. Now, after Jonah answers the questions, he says, I'm a Hebrew. I serve, I worship the God of the land and the sea, the only God. Something takes place. It says they were terrified. When we sin against God, people will get wrong understandings about God. They won't fully understand Now notice putting yourself for a moment, the place of the sailors. Here's something I want you to understand. There is no doubt the sailors could have been wondering what kind of God would go after one of his own as harshly as this God is dealing with Jonah. And yet when we fall to sin, we give the opportunity for people to blaspheme the name of God saying, why would God hurt Tim like this? Tim maybe just didn't figure it out. Maybe Tim didn't understand everything. And what kind of God would beat up his own son? And yet what we see is, is that God's discipline of Jonah is love. It's not punitive. And yet those questions come up. And so here we see Jonah, just like David, maybe thinking on his way to Tarshish that my sin is covered. Remember the story of David and Bathsheba? He sleeps with her. And then uh, he kills Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And for a year, while his insides are eating him in and inside and out, what happens? There's this thought that I've gotten away with it. That I'll never have to bring it up. And then God sends a man named Nathan, 
who comes in and articulates this story. And David becomes so angry as a result of the story that the uh, guy in the story needs to be put to death. He needs to be dealt with severely. And Nathan looks at that man because this story is a wonderful picture of what David had done. And he says, you're the man. When we sin, God says, I'll bring that up. It will come up at a certain time. The Bible says that when we sow to issues of unrighteousness and disobedience, that a harvest will come. But here's the thing. We don't know when that harvest will be produced, when it will be ready to be taken in. We don't know when it will come to full fruition. So it is with sin. The final thing I want us to look at this morning is that the downward spiral of sin subjects us to God's discipline. Now we talked about this last week and we're going to talk about this next week because we're going to look at one verse next week. And the verse is uh, verse 17. Jonah is swallowed up by the whale or the fish and he's there three days and three nights. And we're going to look at how that is the culmination of God's discipline in Jonah's life. But notice in the text that because of this downward spiral, God is active in his discipline. Now there's a couple things I want to pull from this because we'll come back to it next week. But a couple things that we see. There are negative and positive dimensions to this discipline. The first negative is, if you will, from a human standpoint, is that God's discipline cannot be or can't be undone by human effort. It can't be undone. Now they find out who he is and they ask, what should we do with you to make the sea calm down for us. They're asking for the answer, and here's Jonah's answer. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, and that this great sto- the reason this great storm has come upon you. But notice what the men do. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. This is what happens. They find out it's Jonah's fault. Man, what have you done? How could you have caused such a thing? How could you sin against God in this way? And he says, all right, the way to fix it is throw me over. Get me out of the boat. God will take care of the rest and the sea will calm down. Jonah knows that God is causing the storm. But they say, we won't do that. And so the captain must have yelled, hey, we're going to try to row out of this thing. So everybody get to their oars, everybody get to the sails, and let's find a way to fix this thing so we don't have to kill Jonah. When we fall to sin, we need to understand something. It can't be undone by human effort. When God decides to discipline a child, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your pastors, your church can't fix that. Because you are in God's hands, not ours. Now, people will try to do all that they can to try to fix it, to alleviate the problem. I had yesterday probably one of the top three worst days of my life. I was traveling with my uh, crew down to a large event in Newark and uh, had a large, uh, I had a van full of people and a large trailer behind me and I lost control of the van and the trailer. 
and uh, totally crashed, trailers all over the place and everything. I'm catering down at the Newark uh, uh, 4th of July celebration at the Newark Fire Department. How ironic that the word comes through the radio that the caterer has crashed the vehicle and those are the people who are going to come and help us, okay? Now, everybody's okay, and you know, except for the van and the trailer. We'll fix those things. But what happened was, is they saw me in my distress. And so what happened? Every one of the Newark ambulances became a 5B's catering truck. They loaded up all the food and everything. I mean, some of the greatest pictures we could have gotten. All these guys and all their firemen's gear. Once they made sure we were okay, they said, let's worry about the pork chops. Let's take care of it. And so they're unloading and they've got this assembly line of all my food going from one of this, this trailer into the ambulances driving. And of course, they've got the sirens going and everything speeding away. I mean, people thought that I had employees going to all major hospitals and everything. It was a riot. Not so funny the first part of the day, but that was really funny because they were helping. They saw us in our peril and they wanted to alleviate it any way they could. When we fall to sin, And God starts dealing with us and he brings on issues maybe like depression or consequences of sin come into play or um, our sin begins to produce results that we don't like. People are going to come to our aid and say, hey, how can we fix it? You can't. You can't. When the church is asked for uh, money, Uh, benevolence money. The benevolence offering that we took today is given uh, to people that are in need. And one of the things the elders will ask is, are the people in need of this money because of a sin? Because we don't want to try to give money to someone who has inevitably found themselves in this peril as a result of sin. And that doesn't mean we sit there and say, ha, 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 God got you good. No, we pray But we need to recognize that we don't want to aid and abed someone getting out prematurely of the discipline of God. This is what the sailors were trying to do, and it didn't work. It was an exercise in futility. Notice the next thing, that this this downward spiral of sin forces others to make unpleasant decisions. Just very quickly, it's clear in the text. What happens? They can't row back to shore. So then they cry out to God, the God, the true God, Jonah's God, and they say, oh Lord, please don't let us uh, die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. For you have done, O Lord, as you have pleased. What they're saying is, is Lord, we know we're going to kill this guy. We're going to about to throw him over. None of the sailors at any point in the voyage would have ever thought that they would have run into this situation where they're pushing a prophet of God off the side of the ship and to his demise. Why did they have to make this decision? Why did they have to be accessories to murder, if you think about it? In their opinion, they were killing a man. Why would they have to make such a difficult decision? Because Jonah had sinned when we fall to sin and continually find ourselves on the path of sin it will force our family our friends our church and others to make difficult decisions ones they never thought they would have to make where they find themselves crying out to god and saying god i don't see any other way to do this 
But this seems to be the only way, just like the sailors, because of our sin, we force people to make terrible decisions that they would never want to make in the first place. Some positives before I close. What are some positive God discipline? There are three things very quickly. Number one, we see God's compassion for his children. I want you to understand something. There is great compassion in verse four. The great compassion I want you to see is in the three words, then the Lord. Then the Lord. Because we see a tennis match going on between Jonah and God. Notice for a moment. God gives a message to Jonah. Jonah says no. Jonah flees. God responds. There's this back and forth and there'll be this back and forth for the rest of the story. And notice this. God could have ended this ping pong match, this tennis match in step one. Notice what he could have done. The word of the Lord in verse one came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and the Lord killed him. End of story. He could have done that for the wage of sin is death. He could have said, all right, you dummy, you disobeyed, now you die. But he doesn't. And he doesn't just so he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to mess around with this guy and beat him up until he screams bloody murder. The reason why Jonah is given a second chance is because God loved Jonah. And God was working on Jonah And God is working in the hearts of everyone here. So when God disciplines us for our sin, he could have taken us out. Yesterday, because of a wrong attitude of me waking up having to work on the 4th of July, God could have sent me to my demise before I got to the event. And I saw it fully and clearly. He could have done that. But he says, I'm not done with you, my son. I love you. I want to see you fulfill the things that I've called you to fulfill. And no, you're not perfect, but I'm going to teach you. And what I learned yesterday, here's the other thing. It rained all day. We were soaking wet. I'm heading home and coming into Hinkley. Of all things, I'm driving eight miles over the speed limit. I get a speeding ticket. I told the guy, the police officer, I said, officer, I've had the absolute worst day. And you know what his response was? It just got worse. I said, happy 4th of July to you too, sir. Man, it was a terrible day. But when I got home, here's the lesson. My three boys came and my little Joshua says, Dad, we're glad you're not dead. We're glad you're not dead. And I said, well, that is true. We should be thankful for these things. I learned a lesson in thankfulness. That even when my life goes terrible, God loves me and he's done wonderful things in my life for that which I should show gratitude. God wasn't done with Jonah, even though Jonah was done with God. The next thing we see is the conviction of unbelievers. While God shows Jonah the worst picture, I'm sorry, while Jonah shows the worst picture of God to the sailors, God shows them something. Notice what the text says. They throw him over. And the raging sea, verse 15 says, grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Understand this. I don't know 
if these guys will be in heaven. I don't know if we will see the sailors and the Jonah story in heaven. The scripture doesn't tell us if this was a true and lasting conversion. But what I do know is they got a proper picture of God. God said, hey, I'm not going to let Jonah be my only advertiser. I am going to allow myself to be made known among the nations. There's no question by what we see that the sailors were changed forever because of what happened on the high seas with Jonah. They would be changed. And they would give and make vows and, and give sacrifices to the Lord. This was a life-changing experience for them. They would see God for who he was. In spite of Jonah's failings, understand this. What an assurance to know that no matter how incompetent or sinful we are, God still accomplishes his plans for his people. The final thing this morning is we see that God, God's control over the circumstances. We see God's control over the circumstances very quickly. We see God controls the sea. God controls the wind, God controls the ship, God controls the dice, and God even controls the sailors and Jonah. How do you say you see all that? God brought up the wind, God brings forth the storm, God allows the ship not to break up, God allows the dice. One commentary said that they would have gone through and rolled the dice on every sailor, if you will. And man, what a day for Jonah to go to the casino every time. No, 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 no. Here's Jonah. Yes. Let's try that again. Yes, 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 yes. Yahtzee. Okay. Good, you laughed at that one. I wasn't sure. Amanda said you wouldn't. But uh, God has control of the circumstances. And so there are a couple things you need to remember this morning. Maybe you find yourself in the downward spiral of sin. Understand this. Stop running from God. God is there, even if you don't think he is, and he's controlling the circumstances, and he says, I'm going to bring you back to myself. Number two, if you find yourself in circumstances because of someone else, understand this. God was just as much in control of the sailor's world as he was with Jonah. He said, hey, I've got those sailors right where I want them. They're not going to endure anything that I don't want them to endure. So today, do you find yourself running from God? Do you find yourself in a downward spiral? It's time to confess sin. It's time to get right with God. Let me close with this passage from Proverbs 28. Just write this down and let me close with this thought. Proverbs 28. I'm going to start in verse 10 and we'll go through verse 14. It says this, He who leads the, uh, who leads the upright along an evil path will fall into his own trap. But the blameless will receive a good inheritance. A rich man may be wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has discernment sees through him. When the righteous triumph, there is great elation. But when the wicked rise to power, men go into hiding. He who conceals his sin does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord. But he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for this incredible text. We thank you for what it teaches us. Lord, there are some here today who find themselves in the downward spiral of sin.
Lord, arrest their hearts today. Be it a storm, be it calamity, be it the sweet, soft voice of the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, that you would turn every one of us back to you. God, you had incredible plans for Jonah, plans that would come to full uh, to fulfillment in his life. And yet he was running from you. Lord, you have plans for us. You have plans that you would love uh, to see fulfilled in our lives. And you've purposed them to be so. And so, Lord, when we are out of your way, when we are out of your will, you are to guide us back. And we are so thankful for that. Lord, as we uh, meditate on this idea of your discipline, that we would not push it away because it is hard, but we would understand it is because you love us and because you will use you the perfecting of your saints to the glory and to the fame of not only you to your people, but to all those in the world. So Lord, work in our hearts. If there are things that we must do to change the way and the direction that we are going, bring your spirit, bring whatever you may so that we will be put in the right direction. We love you for it and we thank you. And as we leave this place, Lord, I pray that we would not fall to sin, but if we do, we would repent because you are faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let us keep short uh, lists with you this week, Lord so that in doing so, we will not fall prey to the difficulties that come when we do. We love you and we thank you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.